power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. And now for another fast-breaking news story, we go to our roving reporter. The podcast, Sovereign Tech. Its host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. The tech giants try to stop Sovereign Tech. They can't. The man of tomorrow is here to follow up, get in a, an annual review <laughs> of, well, here's the thing. So it was almost a year ago. Uh, it was March of 2021 when I had done a Sovereign Tech supplemental discussing NFTs. And got into some other subjects in it as well. But it was my first, I don't want to say only, but it was like my main conversation that I had about NFTs, which at the time had just begun to explode, uh, you know, with their, their first big, whatever this one sold for 69 million, you know, whatever the numbers were. And at the time I was, um, <laughs> shall we say incredibly negative, uh, on the entire concept um, for many reasons, all of which I described in that episode. And I might recount some of those here as we get through this conversation. But a year later, approximately, and NFTs are still here. Now, I didn't I don't recall really putting a prediction on when they would disappear, um, you know, in, in that episode that I did in 2021. Um, but they are still here. And not only are they still here, but in, in certain ways that you look at them, they actually, at least over the, you know, over the past year, they perform bet. They have performed better than cryptocurrencies, depending upon, you know, when you're looking at them. Like if we're talking about August, 2021, you know, that, that was like their biggest month up until January of 2022. And the interesting thing is that throughout January, 2022 NFTs in value and sales and, you know, and as far as, um, transactional operations, I guess we could say, uh, you know, had had their biggest month when all of crypto was, you know, going down. Okay. Now I'm not saying crypto was dying. It was diving. It wasn't dying at all. You know, like Bitcoin is just not going to die. Deal with it. Um, you know, I mean, I can imagine a lot of cryptocurrencies that will Bitcoin's not one of them. And of course we saw how tied most altcoins are to, you know, Bitcoin's uh, price. And well, you know, again, we saw that dive, but while, again, while cryptocurrencies themselves were diving, NFTs were continuing to go through the roof and be the topic of heavy conversation, especially in January, 2022, but really they've been in heavy conversation over the past year. So with all of this said, has the golden stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, Dr. Brian Sovereign, man who's been in the crypto space for over 10 years now. Have I changed my mind? Am I suddenly like, holy shit, no, NFTs are the fucking future. Give me those NFTs. I'm going to put out Sovereign Tech NFTs tomorrow. We're doing it. 
Is that what I'm going to say to you right now? Fuck no. <laughs> My mind hasn't changed about a goddamn thing. In fact, it's only gotten more negative. At before, a technology that was simply an annoyance that had been floating around since 2017 and then finally popped in 2021, well, before it was just an annoyance. Now, I consider to be a matter of disgust, extreme disgust, and something that is ultimately in purpose is something holding back this thing called humanity from growing, from getting, from evolving any further socially. Like really, I know you think that that's extreme. Yeah. But everything is all the problems of the legacy system are wrapped up in the concept of NFTs because it's the last time, as I said, the last time that I talked about NFTs a year ago, Really, all NFTs are. They're, they're an attempt to re-implement all of the notions of uh, 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 false scarcity, limited, uh, limited editions, limited access, exclusivity, and a million other things that fall under the bullshit notion of intellectual property. Uh, and bring them to the the digital realm, the digital economy, the notions of digital property and all of this. Like it, it's just to attach all of these ideas that again, I mean, if you're like me, you consider to be horrible ideas, you know, before even the internet <laughs> and and you're just bringing them to the the internet at large. You're bringing them, uh, you know, to the concept of, of, you know, digital ownership and well, really, I guess what you could call the, you know, the digital ecosystem or the digital economy. Now I have a very old saying and it's my saying, and I've said it at conferences, you know, and, and it's, it's hilarious because everywhere that I've ever said it, you know, especially in person, it always gets met with a round of applause because you instantly understand the problems when, when you say this statement. Okay. And I'm going to say it again. If it was a bad idea without blockchain and NFT is a blockchain technology. If it's a bad idea without a blockchain, putting it on a blockchain doesn't suddenly make it a good one. That is one of the most, you know, and look, I'm not, I'm not here trying to like pat myself on the back. I am just telling you that is one of the single most important uh, uh, concepts to grok when you are thinking about any blockchain technology or project, whether it's, you know, DeFi, GameFi, Metaverse, you know, whatever horseshit, you know, uh, Web3, whatever horseshit buzz term created by investors who don't give an ass about you. Whenever you hear those terms, you know, I mean, wherever it's getting applied, wherever blockchain is getting slapped down, think about that. Was it a bad idea before blockchain? If in your mind, the answer was yes, it was a bad idea before blockchain. Why the fuck would it be a good one with it? So, you know, if you thought that IP was, you know, a bad idea, you know, intellectual property, if you thought it was a bad idea or if it's like it just doesn't make any goddamn sense, which it doesn't. How do you own an idea? Um, you know, or, you know, if you think it's, it's downright unethical, which I think there's a great argument for that. 
you know, there's there's plenty of phenomenal books out there to to read, you know, about how like like what is it? Is it against against intellectual or against copyright or against intellectual property? That's one of the major major books I haven't read. Like, yeah, it's so funny because I haven't read a book on IP in uh, fuck pro- probably like 10 years. And you know why? Because the case is closed <laughs> like. Like Stefan Kinsella, you know, like he, with his work, you know, the work he did with the Mises Institute and everything. I mean, he just thrashed the whole damn thing. It's, I mean, those those books are amazing. Like a, a person, essentially, you you'd have to, you know, like you could you could hand those the like say against intellectual property, you could hand them that book. The only thing that they could do after reading it, if they don't agree with Stefan Kinsella. Is I mean, and there might be little points of quibbling, but the idea of IP nonsense, the only thing you could do is just go into cognitive dissonance. Like you, you could just, you're just going to have to ignore it and say, I don't accept that I'm rewriting my mental history. And I never read that book. Like that's how you'd have to walk away from that. And I mean, Stefan can is just one person, especially the anarchist or libertarian bent who, you know, who's written on that. There's been plenty of other, you know, phenomenal works from the center for stateless society and so on. Um, Again, people who are looking at, okay, how do we evolve past, you know, the domination structures that we have, right, that we live under, that we don't need? I mean, that maybe we never needed, you know, but we sure as fuck don't need them now. You know, you really, I mean, yeah, okay, quick. That just speaks to it. The only people that are into NFTs are the people who ultimately want the status quo, okay, like, okay, yeah, they want to, you know, they, they're they part of the Church of Eternal Growth, so they got to keep getting in new users, they got to keep getting in, you know, new fans or new whatever, okay, and bring in more money because, I don't know, you know, they've, they've, they have to have that golden duck fountain in their front yard for whatever reason they need that. But really, I mean, it's only the people that are into IP, that are into intellectual property. Okay, and people who are also when it comes to metaverse, like with virtual real estate, people who are, you know, into into other aspects of property, not just IP. Okay, Um, though, ultimately, I would argue that virtual real estate falls under a type of IP, um, you know, if you're going to put any kind of regulation around it Um, or, or, yeah, regulation, both like legally as well as regulation around, you know, creating false scarcity with, you know, tokenized uh, ownership. But again, only people that are interested in the concept of intellectual property care about NFTs. And I mean, you, you can see it, right? <laughs> like, because what are the companies getting into diving into headfirst into NFTs? Uh, the gaming industry, the music industry. Uh, I imagine the movie and TV industry or, you know, the like it's the entertainment industry at large. Yes, the fashion industry is getting into it. Yes, there are, you know, other uh, again, when it gets into metaverse, that's really trying to create a virtual copy of everything that is actually real. There's a conversation to have around that and whether that's like even a good idea. Um, but you know, it, it, like only those people who are into all of that are the people that care about NFTs. Do the fans care about NFTs? Ultimately, I'd argue no. <laughs> they, 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 they really don't. And I want to talk more about that. And what we're going to get into, you know, with this episode is I want to break down some of the arguments for NFTs, basically take those sacred cows, turn them into hamburger. Okay. 
and, you know, give you some, shed some light on what I not just what I think, but what you can actually prove and see, because it's openly, you know, uh, reported on of why NFTs are the, you know, the seeming juggernaut that they are. And again, it has nothing, nothing to do with, you know, somehow people getting a better deal, you know, like the, the about the, the consumer getting some kind of better deal or the consumer getting, you know, uh, winning. So and, and, you know, this comes with this conversation comes with really a, a very depressing thought from me. And. You know, I mean, the, the older I get, the more this the, I come to realize this. Uh, <laughs> all right, let, let's just say it. And, and like, it's so hard for me to say because I love entertainment. I love art. I love films. I love, you know, uh, at least television shows from back in the day. Um, I love, you know, books. I love you know, music. I mean, I love music. Like all the, you know, I mean. Fuck, man. Like, just look at my plexer. You tell me I mean, millions of songs. And you tell me what kind of metalhead I am. You tell me who's more. Right. If we wanted to rank them. Holy shit. Anyway. But the realization is and, and I, I kind of just wanted to say this for musicians, but it's just coming true for everybody. Um, people in the entertainment industry, they're just. They're, they're fucking morons. <laughs> like, I mean, they're so fucking stupid. Like, <laughs> you know, and, and none of these people, none of these people are fucking rebels. You know, it's, it's so funny, especially like you think like metal, right? Let, let's talk about music. And I, I'm going to explain why I've come to this realization and why I'm saying this. All right. But, you know, you, you think about like, like, like metal artists and everything, you know, like rock before, you know, even heavy metal, like rock and roll and all this, you know, all rebellious kind of shit right uh or at least that's the concept you know and and like i remember even you know gene simmons saying that you know like rock needs to exist and it will always exist because we always need that rebellious expression okay well maybe metal music might be a rebellious expression of some kind or maybe rock might be some kind of rebellious expression but the people who make this music they're fucktards like they're, they're just they're so dumb like I, I can't, I, I, and, and I hate that I'm saying this because like I've revered these people for so long and I've given such a shit about these people and talk about the amount of fucking money I've given these people and, and, in time, which is the thing with real intrinsic value and the attention that I've given them. Okay. You know, and, and, and the fucking the adulation and like going to concerts and they're all goddamn morons. Why am I saying this? Well, here's the thing. So I recently listened to talk about a, a guy that I respect and I think I still respect him. I, I haven't, he hasn't taken the dive yet on NFTs. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, Mrs. Sovereign Ellen, she got me into, or, okay. All right. Hold on. We, there, there's a, there's a chain of events here. So, um, someone I've talked about a lot of times over the years when I've talked about metal, because I consider him to have written like, if not the greatest metal song of all time, one of the greatest metal songs of all time. Uh, possibly besting dream theaters pull me under right from images and words. Um, so Devin Townsend, okay. 
And the song I'm referencing with Devin Townsend is Triumph off of his album Sincastra. Just amazing. Uh, th- I mean, this guy, man, you know, like you really, it's, when you listen to his music, you're like, man, he, this guy's playing on another level. And I don't just mean the, you know, the guitar. <laughs> I mean, he's <laughs> just, and like, listen to his Empath album. Oh, wow. You know? Okay. So he started a podcast a little while back and, and Ellen had listened to it. She loved it. I mean, she's a huge fan of him. Um, I kind of introduced her to him, you know, but she, you know, listened to him on Plex and took the ball and kind of ran with it, you know? So I don't want to take all the credit for that. Um, but she certainly got me listening to him even more than I did previously. So, you know, it's, it's a cycle, right? (laughs) We're feeding each other's desires, which is, uh, you know, how great relationships work. And she's like, oh, he's got a podcast. You should check it out. I'm like, oh, no shit. All right. You know, and I'll, and I'll listen to it. And I've listened to a few episodes so far. He's only like uh, 18, maybe 20 episodes deep, about 18. I think because I think the episode I'm referencing is uh, is episode 18. And so episode 18. Well, anyway, I, I listen. His podcast is very good. I totally recommend listening to it, um, especially if you know your like rock and you know music and metal history. Like you're in for a ride because there's shit that he talks about and says, I, I mean, I was just, you know, fucking blown away um, you know, to, to, to hear it. So I, I am going to listen to his, his podcast is going to be in my essential listens category, which there's all of five of those now, <laughs> you know, as far as podcasts go. Um, another one being another metal show, that being uh, the Eddie Trunk show. But anyway, I'll be list anytime Devin Townsend wants to put out a new podcast. I'm going to be there to listen to it right away. Um, and, and my opinion hasn't changed on that. Okay. And my opinion on Devin Townsend hasn't changed yet either, but anyway, so episode 18, and if I think of it, I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, he, he does an episode about NFTs. Normally his show is about him talking about his albums, what went into making his albums and he's made so many and he has so many different projects. Yeah. You can do a fucking podcast around that, uh, or, you know, around Devin Townsend's work. You know, Absolutely. Um, and it's fascinating stuff to hear. So, but anyway, with episode 18, he did two things that were different. Like a, he, he's not talking about his albums. He's talking about a subject that be in this case being NFTs B, it was also the first time that he had a guest on, on his podcast. Um, and he had another guy who I really enjoy his work. He had M shadows on Matt shadows of, um, you know, of Avenged Sevenfold. Right. I mean, and we all listen to that Nightmare album. We know how fucking great that was, you know, or Backcountry. And I mean, come on, <laughs> like Avenge Sevenfold. Phenomenal, phenomenal act. You know, great metal band, great albums pretty much across the board. Um, big fan. And just quick before we go further, there's going to be more than this podcast as to why I'm going to say the, these guys are idiots. And I don't mean, I don't necessarily mean Devin Townsend. I just I could not believe like the shit that was coming out of M Shadow's mouth. And I hate that I'm insulting him, but what can I do? Okay. When, (laughs) when you're selling people crap, like I got to call it as I see it. So anyway, so he is very M shadows is very pro NFT. And like they, they did some kind of sale where you could buy an NFT for 250 bucks, which granted that's generous as far as compared to what some other people are like, what was it? Kings of Leon sold, how much were they selling their album NFTs for? Which of course didn't even give you the album. It just bought you access to the album on web 2.0, not even on web three, but whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, we talked about that, you know, in the previous episode I did on NFTs a year ago. 
Um, but it gets you exclusive access into like this little club, this chat club. And whenever you go to a concert, it'll get you something and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, whatever the usual crap is that's being offered by, uh, you know, uh, musicians for, you know, selling their, their, their NFTs. Now, what was the the most, and, and, and he was like talking about, like he sounded somewhat educated, at least he didn't sound negative towards, you know, M shadows. He didn't sound negative towards Bitcoin. He didn't sound negative towards Ethereum, which, you know, that's essentially two steps forward, five steps back, right? It's like, okay, you're pro Bitcoin, but you're pro Ethereum. Well, you, you missed something there. <laughs> like you fucked up somewhere uh, or took a wrong turn at Albuquerque, I guess. And, uh, and, and then, you know, he's kind of trying to explain Web3. I mean, again, he's a musician. Look, look. Okay. All right. Hold on. So to be clear, I don't expect musicians to be tech savvy. I don't expect them to be, you know, like, like computer scientists by any stretch. Of, like, like, please don't confuse it. I don't expect that. However, if you are going to implement, you know, if you're going to like say, yeah, we're implementing stuff on the cutting edge. I do expect you to understand this shit. And, you know, whatever, M. Shadow, I mean, anybody can have a bad day and, like, not really, you know, uh, be able to articulate things well on the fly. Um, even though somebody who's used to playing in front of hundreds of thousands of people, I would hope you'd be better at that, but whatever. Um, you know, I mean, it just, it was very clear he didn't really understand a lot of the technology around this. I don't think he really understood a lot of the economics around this. Um, I mean, he was very supportive of Web3, individuals being in control and like owning digital stuff in comparison to like right now, everything is renting out to bigger companies and, and blah, blah, blah. Again, I, I mean, I've, I've recently done or had conversations about web three and how that's complete bullshit, right? Because it's just the web two people funding like this, you know, people who, who like if web three is the solution to web two, the last thing you want is the web two people guiding web three, right? Because they didn't learn anything. They just want to keep making more money like they did off of web two without having concerns around like autonomy and security and, and everything else. But anyway, um, so, you know, Devin Townsend was trying to be very even. He's saying he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, he's like, I, I, I tweeted about it or, you know, I reached out to my fans about NFTs and what they thought. And he said it was 98 percent just vitriol. Like the idea of, of, you know, engaging in the use of NFTs or, you know, in like in implementing them in his business model and everything like 98 percent of his fans are just like, fuck that shit. Like, no way. And great. I'm glad to hear that. In fact, that <laughs> just about every industry that's like implementing these things, when you talk to the actual people that buy your shit, they're all saying, whether it's gamers, whatever, they're all saying, no, don't do this. No, you're wrong. Stop. This is bullshit. This is going to fuck us, you know, and just make the rich richer. Which right on. <laughs> So anyway, Devin Townsend was trying to be very even handed. He's like, he says, yeah. And he says he went on and watched some documentaries or videos about like why NFTs are crap. And, but he wanted to have people come on that were pro NFT just so that he could, you know, kind of cover both sides and everything. And I appreciate that. And I know he, look, I just, I like to imagine that Devin Townsend is an intelligent guy and that is an intelligent way to engage this concept, you know, to engage NFT, uh, you know, any subject, uh, and certainly with NFTs, 
Um, I haven't heard like the cons, like he did the episode with the pros or what are claimed to be pros of NFTs. I didn't hear the one for the cons, though. Ironically, NFTs are a con. So it's all con. Well, all right. And anyway, um, <laughs> um, I, I want to hear that, you know, and see what he says to that. Um, but most of the conversation between Devin and, and Matt was trying like the only the only concern they were trying to assuage was the environmental concerns which okay you know like like they were saying okay yeah we know we know there's environmental concerns and all that but don't worry ethereum's going to prove a stake and then it won't be you know the, the environmental concerns won't be as bad and blah 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 but that's that's the only uh um critique that they took on throughout the episode, you know, other than they brought up another one saying that, well, you know, like, cause Devin asked Matt, you know, like, why, why do you only do 10,000, um, NFTs? Why not do a run of, you know, a million or why not do them infinitely or something like that? And essentially, you know, Matt said, well, it's just like we do with albums where we do limited editions. So they brought that up like, th but those were really the only two critiques. The thing is, is that while one is leading in an interesting direction and just shows how much that being the limited editions and just shows how much, uh, these people are really stuck in, <laughs> well, well, stuck in the legacy system. Um, the, the environmental one, like this is just, I'm almost to the point that 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 I think the environmental argument against crypto, against blockchains and all that, like I don't it almost feels like AstroTurf, like it almost feels like because it is, you know, that's such an easy argument to 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 go against. Because all you can do is say, well, yeah, but it's growing pains. We're just in the early stages. We'll figure this out. We will fix this. Are there solutions to, you know, environmental concerns around cryptocurrencies? Yes, there are. I'm saying this stallion. I'm saying to you, there are, you know, that that's, that's possible, but then I am not going to waste time. And I didn't really waste time in my NFT episode a year ago, talking about the environmental concerns. Like I'm not saying they're illegitimate. I'm just saying that, that they're, they're too easy to like denounce. And it seems like everybody wants to concentrate on that. Like, on, like anytime a, a, a news outlet wants to, you know, talk about the negatives of NFTs, that's the only one they really want to write about when that's the boring negative, you know, like ultimately, I mean, is it important? You know, is the environment important? Of course, but it's boring in that, Okay, that's the one that can be solved. That's the one that ultimately, you know, is already being worked on and doesn't really matter. But that's that's the only critique that they they were bothering to like respond to and they've even said, "Yeah, we don't even respond to those arguments anymore." You know, and or at least, you know, uh Matt said, Matt, you know, M Shadows uh said that. And I mean, I kind of wish they would engage them and just like shut those people down because I get annoyed when anybody is arguing about environment or arguing for environmentalism, you know, and saying, well, Bitcoin is, you know, is bad for the environment or, you know, this blockchain is bad for the environment, blah, 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 blah. Um, I, I would put a, a number on it of say 95% of the people that say that watch shit on Netflix. I've been saying this for years. You cannot be, 
You cannot be environmentally concerned. You cannot be an environmental activist and watch Netflix at the same time. You can't. It's not possible. Bitcoin is nothing compared to Disney Plus, Netflix, YouTube. Go down the fucking list. Like, it, it, the hilarity that the people, according to Devin Townsend, that were complaining about environmental concerns or, you know, around NFTs are doing so on YouTube. <laughs> like, wait, guys, if you're that concerned, it's nonsense. So, like, I, I, I mean, again, and this is why I don't get invited to any, like, environmental uh, events, because I'm going to call it right out. I'm going to say everybody here that watches Netflix, leave the room. Because this message isn't for you. I'm here to talk to people who actually give a shit about planet Earth. And I'm telling you, people would just walk. So the environmental argument, there's no point in getting into that because everybody's a goddamn hypocrite, you know, on, on that end. Um, it's, you know, it's one thing if you're using, okay, sure, everything runs on servers and blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's It's one thing to, you know, if you're using like things that are, you know, if you're arguing against say Bitcoin from an environmental standpoint or NFTs from an environmental standpoint, and you're using say technologies that might still be bad for the environment, but ultimately they're nowhere near as, uh, you know, they don't use anywhere near the power, um, you know, say that a blockchain does. Okay. Uh, but again, if you're going to use streaming video of any, of any kind on the internet, fuck you. Like you're, you're pointing your fingers in the wrong place. And you know, you better start pointing them at yourself. Slap nuts. Now. So environmental issues aside, because again, everybody's a liar when it comes to that. Um, or a hypocrite at least. So I wanted to, I want to address some of what they, what they, you know, got into. I mean, cause I guess they did kind of talk about growing pains, but that's kind of speaks to the environmental stuff. Um, but I do want to talk about the growing pains because there, I, I have a list of things I want to get into that, that they were addressing on this. Okay. So the issue is they're saying, well, you know, any new technology has growing pains. Right. And so, you know, NFTs, any of like the, the hacks, um, you know, any of the, like, like acts by, you know, malicious actors in the space, um, you know, Nigerian print scams, um, you know, or, or the environmental issues, like all of these things or the lack of speed or the gas prices or whatever, all this jazz. Okay. All these things, they are attributing to growing pains and they're compared their point of comparison. Now, I mean, to say that something has growing pains, like that can be a valid thing to say, like that, that can be a valid justification for issues that you run into with any new technology. Okay. The problem is <laughs> you have to first to claim that growing pains are justifiable in what you're doing. You have to show me a success in the first place. Okay. In fact, one of the, one of the really asinine things that M shadows said was it's like, well, you know, the, the first car wasn't uh, you know, I, I get it. The first car wasn't an electric car. Oh no, 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 no. Stop. Stop, Matt. You're wrong. <laughs> like <laughs> That, that, that's not, that's not a valid analogy by any, by any, in no way. Okay. Uh, electric cars 
were killed by, you know, the fucking, uh, uh, you know, automotive industry a hundred years ago, <laughs> you know, like, like to say that, oh, well, it, you know, we're only ready for electric cars now. That's horseshit. It's not true at all. We could have, we've, we, there's no reason we couldn't have had, you know, uh, uh, electric cars for over a hundred years now. It's because the automotive industry killed the fucking project because it was getting in the way of their present IP, <laughs> right? Like the, the present technology that they were supporting. That's horseshit. Okay. So my point being, you have to show me a relative success to the space that you're describing in this case, NFTs to say that growing pains are valid and justifiable. And if your, if your argument for success is the internet, or if your argument for success is like smartphones or something like that, these are not like, you still have to prove to me that the internet is ultimately a good idea. You still have to prove to me. And in fact, actually this one's easy. Like if you want to argue about smartphones being a new technology that, um, you know, that, that are some kind of like wild success. They're not a wild success. Like we know we can cycle, we can scientifically through psychology and a million other health concerns. We can show why smartphones are ultimately a net negative on civilization. If you care about civilization, the jury is still well out on the internet. In fact, the irony is you're saying we need to do web three because web two sucks. So you can't call the internet, this new technology that was ultimately a good thing. And that, you know, had just had to go through some growing pains. The growing pains haven't stopped. In fact, you're proving the point. So what is your point of contrast for growing pains with NFTs? There is no point of contrast that you can point to that. Oh, well, this is a success. So we just have to wait for this to become a success. Because you know, with NFTs and to some degree with blockchains in general, you know, your only point that you, the only thing you can really put, you know, point at is, um, uh, you know, is interconnectivity, right? So computers, computers in general, computers as a technology, as a whole, whatever that can mean. Um, you, now you can point at that as a success. However, it is a success as an isolated system. It is not a success as a connected system. or at least a connected system at large scale. In fact, really, there's just all the evidence in the world that the only people that the internet ultimately benefits, because I don't know about you, I look around and I don't see the world changing. I don't see people being any smarter. Oh, they've got access to all the information in the world at, you know, at their fingertips or whatever, but they don't fucking read it. You tell me how it's improved society. Fuck. Even if you're, you know, you're libertarian anarchist or whatever, go to, you go to these conferences, go to these, you know, whatever. I mean, you're just meeting all the same. It's all the same goddamn people that were already into this shit back when, you know, it was, uh, it was the zine scene, right. With magazines and, you know, they're reading reason magazine and, and whatever, you know, stodgy books of theirs, uh, you know, some of which are better than others. And like, it's all the same shit, <laughs> you know, it's all the same people. Like what did the internet grow? The internet didn't grow a goddamn thing. Stop. You could say that Bitcoin you know, like made a, or cause my point I was going to make is like, okay, 
So the internet is better for people, but the internet is better for people. Like who, what people? Because the only thing I see where the internet is better for people, the internet is better for Jeff Bezos. The internet is better for Bill Gates. The internet is better for, you know, I mean, because you can look at the numbers during COVID, like who made the most money? Was it individuals? No, the internet didn't solve that problem. It was, you know, it was the fucking guys. That, it was, it was, you know, it was the, te- it was the sinister six. It was the tech giants. Those are the people that made all the goddamn money. And I think, I mean, that's just been true for, for so long with the internet. So what are you, I don't, I don't see what you're saying here. And anybody that succeeded, you know, say because of the internet, um, I would make an argument that they could have, ex- they could have easily succeeded, you know, with alternative technologies like so bitcoin we can bring up which i am a fan okay i mean i'm a real fan bitcoin cryptocurrency you know and and certain other cryptocurrencies that i that i appreciate um these are technologies that don't require the internet and that's part of the reason i'm such a big fan of them yes they operate on interconnectivity peer-to-peer interconnectivity okay but you know, they don't need the internet. In fact, I would say, and look, I'm not supporting web three in this statement, but it might kind of sound like it. I would say that the internet as it is, is actually 10 steps behind what Bitcoin ultimately offers. Like Bitcoin is, is playing on another level compared to the internet. So, you know, I recognize that Bitcoin has made a lot of millionaires out of some really great people. And I mean that I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It's made a lot of people very wealthy and given people some beautiful lives that otherwise would not have been possible. But again, Bitcoin does not require the Internet. And I would argue functions in a system better than the Internet as we understand it today. So all of this is to say that this growing pains argument is bullshit because there is no, you have no evidence. Even your automobile analogy sucks. You have no evidence to point at a technology relative to NFTs. And I mean that the, the car analogy is just, again, I mean, it's horrible because it's not true, but also proof by analogy isn't proof. And it's not a re- related analogy right? Because we're talking about something that is completely digital in its existence. Even though it may give you access to something physical, it is digital in its existence. And that's where a lot of people are looking to to make money on this. Okay. Um, so, but this, my point is this growing pains arguments is just crap. Um, because again, you don't have any comparable technology to look at, to gauge it at what is a success. Everything is going through growing pains. If you believe that argument. Okay. Now, I guess let's talk about kind of this, the faux scarcity and access, um, you know, that this creates. Now, a lot of people would say, yeah, but stallion Bitcoin, there's only going to ever be 21 million of them. That's a faux scarcity. No, you're wrong. (laughs) Yes, it is a scarcity, but it's not a faux scarcity. And it's also, it is, it is a strategy of value, but here's the difference between an NFT and Bitcoin. Why one's bullshit and the other is not Bitcoin. While there are only 21 million of them are essentially like infinitely, uh, um, uh, separable, right? Like you can split 
a Bitcoin into, I mean, how many decimal points? And, and I mean, frankly, you, you, you know, you can just keep splitting them. And the value that even a Satoshi holds can change over time. Now, with an NFT, an NFT is just an NFT. It's just that thing. It's done. There's no splitting it. There's no, like, that is a faux scarcity that does not need to exist. If Bitcoin implemented, okay, if Bitcoin, here's, here's my point. If Bitcoin were implemented in a way that all you had was one Bitcoin and there was not the decimal points after the fact, it was just one Bitcoin. Believe me, I'd be against that technology too. Like, like that, cause that is creating a faux scarcity. And I would argue that it would not work digitally. This is, this is one of the biggest points. And one of the main points I was making a year ago, the digital economy, the digital ecosystem does not, frankly, it calls bullshit on the real world ecosystem, but it doesn't operate under the same rules because again, there is like in the digital world, there's no I mean, yeah, okay. When we get into cryptocurrencies, we could argue for theft because there is this, you know, like, like you stole this many, you know, Ethereum from a blockchain or something like that. But essentially, you know, digital products, digital art, certainly, which is the main area that NFTs are applying to. So I guess we'll stick with that. There is no theft because nobody lost anything. It just, a copy was made, you know, like, like that, that's, that's the problem here. And M shadows in, in the interview with Devin Townsend, I mean, he was basically saying it's like all the problems that the internet brought to musicians, NFTs solve. You, you see though, here, here, here's, here's the problem shadows. <laughs> they may be problems for you, but they're not problems for the consumer. That's the difference. I've been saying this for years, the digital economy the digital ecosystem completely rewrites our notions of property, completely rewrites them. Okay. Now that's a massive argument or a massive conversation to get into. That also includes what is the importance of art to the individual. Okay. And it's a very important thing, but you know, you, you have to get into all of that. All right. Um, but this, you know, the, the idea that, well, you know, the internet, removed scarcity from the entertainment industry and the entertainment industry has been hard up, you know, and pissed off and whatever else about it ever since. Um, now that's an age old argument, right? That's the argument against piracy, which we have the numbers for over 20 years of quote unquote digital, you know, piracy. And we know that, you know, that's, it's not the problem that people think is the problem. Right. Any author, like when Chuck Palahniuk was, was saying, oh, it's because people downloaded my books that I haven't had a hit since Fight Club. No, he found out it was this fucking agent that was skimming his money. <laughs> like, and, and thankfully, Chuck came out and, and apologized. I'm glad he did. Um, but also, like, you know, when when uh, like the Pirate Bay was at its hottest. Right. Maybe the biggest franchise, one of the biggest franchises going at the time was Pirates of the Caribbean. OK, so, you know, Hollywood was flipping out. Because people were, you know, like, like theater sales were way down or, you know, ticket sales were way down because people weren't going to see movies. But then, you know, a, a new Pirates of the Caribbean movie would come out and it would do bigger numbers than any movie in, you know, say almost in history. Right. And so what we realized was. With that was that, no, the problem isn't that people, you know, like less people are going to theaters. The problem is you're making shitty movies. 
Make movies that people actually fucking want and you'll do crazy money, right? Because the theater experience is a very social, beautiful, wonderful thing that will probably never go away. Okay, now, how about for musicians? Well, here's here's the deal with musicians. So much music can get made because of the democratized ability of computers, not of the internet, of computers, right? Whatever, you know, software you use on your on your computer, whatever that happens to be, to make music. Um, it's so easy to make music today because of the democratizing capabilities of computers, pre-internet computers at that, um, and, it, you know, democratizing in price, really, because, you know, it's accessible to everybody and, you know, the technology's out there. Um, so you have so many people making music. Here's the thing. How do you how do you get through that cruft? You can only get through that cruft by being able to easily access the music, listen to it. Now, where I'm getting with this is that we also have the numbers to show that actually the people who pirate music the most also at conversely spend the most money on music. Why? Because they are passionate about music. That's why they're taking the time to download it in the first place. And if you're going to argue to me that, well, yeah, but you know, now everybody, it's so easy to download music or at the time it was with Napster and whatever else. And he brought up, you know, M shadows brought up Napster, you know, like it was so easy for people to do that. Everybody was doing it. Look, those same fucking people were putting in an audio cassette in their boombox and recording the song off the goddamn radio. Shut up. You're wrong. Those people, if somebody wants to get it for free, they're going to get it for free no matter what. Or they'll burn CDs or they'll do whatever the hell, you know, that that's going to happen. You can't stop it. You cannot control as much as you like to think you can. You cannot ultimately control the economic motives, attitudes, and preferences of a person who knows what they want. You're never going to be able to control that. You just can't. And the plebs, it doesn't matter. They're not going to figure it out. They'll, they'll keep paying for Spotify. So trying to reintroduce a scarcity into something that does not need to be scarce, that we now know does not need to be scarce. Um, I mean, it's a dick move. It's an asshole move all the way. But, all, I mean, again, it's something that, that gets in the way, ultimately, of your fans being able to be passionate about you and fucking give you money. Now, like I did not dig at all his argument that, okay, but you know, we've been doing limited editions forever, you know, with, with album releases and everything. So this is no different. NFTs are just another evolution of that. Um, there's an argument where that can almost be true. I would say, why would you with, I mean, NFTs are so stupidly complex and like, and taking advantage of blockchain to do such a, a thing that, you don't need it for that really doesn't make any sense to me. Like there's no re so, because here's the thing. So like with a limited edition box set, why do people buy limited edition box sets is to get to the two extra tracks that might be included on it or the extra disc. Yeah, maybe granted an NFT is not going to store that music in the first place. So that's a bullshit application, right? Because you're only getting access to the server that happens to hold it. That aside, Oftentimes people are doing, are doing it because you get a booklet with it. You get a, a t-shirt, you get, you know, all these things get included to sell the box set. Now that's fine. I actually don't really have, you know, a, a problem with that. If you want that t-shirt, if you want that artwork and you want all that crap, like by all means spend $200 on a limited edition, you know, earbook digipack version, whatever on a, of, of, you know, of, of your favorite artist album. But again, what's the incentive in that? What is the incentive of buying the limited edition album? It's not the album. 
<laughs> it's all the extra shit. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the album. You are not selling your music. You are selling your t-shirts. You are selling your little art book. You are selling whatever. And the NFTs, an NFT cannot be a t-shirt. So why overcomplicate it by, by making access to that in NFT? Okay, now the other thing, that the popular thing that people are doing is they are, um, again, a little later in the episode, I'm going to get into what is the reality? Why are people actually excited about NFTs? I'm going to tell you why. Or, you know, why are the people who claim to be excited about it? Why are they excited about it? Okay, now, how about this? So, okay, this gets you access to concerts or whatever. Look, I don't think, I mean, yeah, people are going to sneak into concerts if they want to sneak into concerts. There's not much you can do about that, okay? Um, I don't really see a massive amount of people, uh, you know, making fake tickets to go to events, okay? Because the argument for why NFTs are great is because it's verification, that you are allowed access into this event, into this venue. Where was that ever a problem? There is no problem. It's not a problem. Now, what is a problem with concert attendance or with event attendance of any kind is scalpers. NFTs do nothing to stop scalpers. Why? Because scalpers will, instead of buying tickets up on Ticketmaster, they'll just buy up the NFTs. And believe me, they'll figure out how if you think you're going to be able to limit their shit on IP address or whatever else, you're full of it. Now, the argument goes that, well, but what's great about an NFT is that for this access, you could resell your access. And look, this is a thing that has existed for 100 years, at least. Right. Any other baseball fans out there? You know how it goes. I remember, you know, when when a friend of mine bought uh you know, like season, uh, season seats, box seats for, for the Mets. And then he resold them. He bought it off a reseller. Then he resold them later on. In what world did you need NFTs for that? You don't. And maybe your argument is that you're cutting out the middleman who like, who, you know, who puts together the tickets or something like that, but that's not possible. You're not cutting out any middleman because if it's going to a physical event, you know, the person who's at the physical event has to, has to manage and handle this stuff. And I mean, you're just going to make their life worse. Like the overhead involved with this as compared to just a fucking slip of paper, like a ticket or putting a person's name down, you know, in a ledger or something like what, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like you're, you're so overcomplicating something that does not have to be overcomplicated. The difference is you you know, like the artist gets to make the money off of it and perhaps more than the person at the venue. That's the difference. Now, do I have a problem with artists wanting to make more money? No, but then let's be clear that this is not somehow a pro consumer technology. Okay. It is a, you could argue it's a pro artist technology. You could make that argument, but then, you know, like, Avenge Sevenfold's ability to make millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands or thousands of dollars a year, whatever they make. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they don't make that much money. Okay. Their ability to do that comes from, you know, nobody acts in isolation here. Okay. <laughs> because like <laughs> your ability to make that money, you know, comes from so many different people who aren't even a part of your band, aren't a part of your, even like your, your, uh, your record company who aren't a part of any of that. It's, 
everybody from the fucking restaurant next door to the venue to the people who run the venue and the workers there and all that stuff. That's all what makes us, you know, come into a success. And I would argue, you know, like another reason I think musicians are, are really hot on this is because it kind of kills the extra work that musicians need to actually do to attract the kind of money that, you know, uh, like other, you know, really high end or, well, that's, that's kind of a sliding term, but that other musicians may have to do. So here's the thing, like, you're not going to make money off of the music that, that day has come and gone. All right. Where you're making money off the music. It's over. The only people that are going to buy your music are the people that you have turned rabid, that you have turned into rabid fans. Okay. For example, Iron Maiden, who sadly have done an NFT, whatever dream theater. Um, I could go down a list of bands who they don't have to do anything the rest of their life because any music they put out there, I mean, they still have to make music, but like any music they put out there, any concert, they any tour they decide to hold or whatever, they know they've got a hundred thousand fans out there out of the billions of people on the planet who will buy anything they sell. And you can make a very comfortable living off of just having a hundred thousand people or hell, even a thousand people who will buy anything at any price that you put out there. But you've got to be that fucking talented. You've got to be that fucking good. You've got to, I mean, that that's the statement. You've got to be that fucking good to enjoy that kind of fandom to enjoy, you know, that. And, and, and I think for most people that would probably be enough. I mean, like, look at, look at kiss. I mean, part of the reason they're my favorite band ever is because they're more than the music. Like, why do they make money? Yeah, Gene is crazy about IP and will, you know, put the KISS logo on a coffin. I know. Okay. But they, you know, they appreciate so much success because they are bigger than their music. They entertain beyond their music, whether it's comic books, whether, you know, whatever it happens to be. They are so much more. Okay. An artist has to be that. Just like actors used to actually have to be able to sing. They used to actually have to be able to dance. They used to actually have to be martial artists to be in an action movie. They used to, you know what I mean? Like they used to have to have fucking talent. Okay, if you don't have talent, I'm sure NFTs are for you. But let's not confuse the matter. NFTs suck and so do you. Because you need a bullshit technology to make money at your craft. Pathetic. Now I want to talk about this a little bit more. So an interesting point that when they were talking about the environmental concerns against, right. Stop using Netflix. Thank you. Okay. That, that Devin Townsend brought up was he's like, yeah, he says, well, you know, for these people who are concerned about the environment, what does it cost to do like send one t-shirt from the United Kingdom to, which is where a lot of, for whatever reason, I don't know why this is because I know I buy uh, um, you know, like t-shirts for metal bands or whatever, like battle beast or something like that. And they do always come from the UK, like whatever the logic is there. I mean, maybe it's cause that's just where the, you know, uh, the record companies are. I don't know. But anyway, um, you know, he's like, well, what does it cost to send that one t-shirt to somebody in the United States, you know, and have that and landed? What is the environmental effect of that? And that's an interesting point to bring up. Okay. But, and, and, and while I think you could kind of make an argument that, okay, well, that's a problem. Like, and you know, you shouldn't have a problem with NFTs if you're willing to, you know, get a shirt shipped to you from China or, um, or the UK or whatever. And, and it's, you know, and it's like this one and done thing, like you had to go through all that to, you know, to land there. Okay. 
First off, though, while that's an interesting point to bring up, it has flaws. <laughs> it has big flaws. The flaws and the, the two big ones are, are two, and it all comes down to scale. There, it's not like there's just one airplane, okay, or one boat <laughs> that sends one T-shirt from, from the island to the colonies, okay? <laughs> like, no, it's a gigantic boat sending tons of shit, <laughs> you know, to, to the colonies. And so it evens itself out. Not only that, the other way to solve this, if you are concerned about that, and I, I would actually respect somebody who was, if you're concerned about that, then it behooves you to be that good of an artist where there are stores around that will keep your shirts. What? What's the, what's the two, what's the keywords? Two keywords in stock instead of made to order. You're actually good enough to wear the shits in stock. Imagine that. Whoa, what a what a novel idea. You know, and then you say, well, yeah, but JCPenney's never going to have a Devin Townsend shirt. You're right. However, a little mom and pop shop absolutely would have, you know, Devin Townsend shirts. But guess who killed the mom and pop shops? The fucking Internet. <laughs> so where's the problem? Right. So, you know, all this is to say, like your arguments about limited editions and, you know, being able to get access to whatever, um, a chat room, a concert and all this other stuff. Look, all of this shit existed without having to use NFTs. And I would argue they were even better without that. Okay. Because none of that, none of, none of those issues really had to deal with problems around cybersecurity, which are incredibly real. In fact, Coindesk did a whole story about it. I shared it in the Sovereign Tech Discord uh, channel. Coindesk did a whole special story on how, and, and, it, and it's hilarious because it spoke to exactly the concerns that I had seven, eight years ago when sidechain started getting it talked about cross chain bridges, all of this. What, what is the, okay. Bitcoin is secure as fuck. The securest network on the fucking planet. Fuck yes. Go. I love it. But everything, you know, and, and this usually when you talk about bridges and cross chains, usually it's not about Bitcoin, but whatever. Anyway, let's talk about another blockchain, whatever that happens to be. What is going to secure that bridge? What is going to secure that cross chain? And we're already seeing the, you know, the cracks, the, the hacks against those bridges and cross chains. And, you know, it's, it's, it's ending up in, you know, rampant theft or quote unquote theft. So again, a lot of this stuff that is inherent in the sales pitch of NFTs creates more problems than existed before, especially when it comes to, to, to cybersecurity. Now, this idea of transferring NFTs, because this is what a lot of, a lot of like your more, uh, shall we say, I don't mean to use this term in the positive, I mean it derogatorily, futurists <laughs> when it comes to NFTs, okay, who are like, oh, this is what's going to happen in the space. Enter another fucking moron who is a musician. Okay. And that would be Mike Shinoda of Lincoln Park. Mike Shinoda, I mean, he's kind of like, I mean, you know, along with the late Chester Bennington, you know, he's, he's kind of the other lead singer, you know, one of the co-founders of, of Lincoln Park. So he put out a tweet that really caused a stir on January 8th, 2022. So, you know, just about a month ago, um, this, this tweet went out and he, he, here, I'll read the tweet for you. And if I think of it, I'll link to it in the show notes. It says, ah, 
So here's something people aren't explaining. NFTs don't have to be JPGs. Imagine taking your favorite skin from Valorant and using it in Fortnite and not paying extra because you own it. Then using it in Call of Duty, Minecraft, even Twitter, Instagram. So many possibilities, no? Question mark. And he was responding to a tweet by someone else. I'll read that quick. Someone named Jane. Uh, NFTs don't make sense. You're buying a JPEG or apparently a receipt to it for a ton of money. It's just unnecessary. And that's it. NFTs are just receipts, but going on, it's just unnecessary and just over or just overcomplicates things that were fine before. I'm tired of NFTs across the board. It alienates the average person. Now, Jane was right on because they succinctly identified what NFTs ultimately are. They are just receipts. Okay. And it overcomplicates things that were fine before now. Um, and, and again, it alienates the average person. Absolutely. So this idea that Mike Shinoda had <laughs> and so many people just piled in. And in fact, people that, you know, is, is here. It was actually a rare moment in Twitter where everybody was like, okay, Hey Mike, look, we're big fans. And, and it was, it was kind of sweet and sad at the same time. Because they're all saying, look, we love your music. We love what you're doing, baby. But you're just so wrong. <laughs> like, you don't understand. You know, it was one of those moments where they were really respectful. And I think that this should always be pointed at when anybody's trying to sell you on this idea of NFTs. This tweet should be pointed at. Because the gaming industry is one of the major areas where it is happening. And 99% of the conversations, especially on Twitter, but, you know, on the Internet at large and really in, even in meat space, where people talk about, okay, well, Ubisoft is doing quartz and they want to put nfts into their games um you know and blah 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 like it's always met with just like attack 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 assault you know i'm mean, like, like really really vitriol lots of vitriol lot really nasty stuff but amazingly with mike shinoda most of the people were like like dude we love you but you're just wrong <laughs> like that can't that doesn't work that way and it just and you know i wish they would have just come out and said mike you're an idiot but I get it that they didn't. And <laughs> anyway, like even like Matt McMuscles, which I, I love that dude's work. He, I'll, I'll read what he said in response. He says, big fan here, Mike, but that's a very poor comparison. Others have already expressed this, but what you're proposing is a massive amount of work that's unrealistic and ludicrously complicated. NFTs are a waste of everyone's time and the quicker they are gone, the better. The point that he was bringing up and other people did in this as well is you cannot transfer a skin from, in fact, one of the best examples was showing a, a stormtrooper, you know, Star Wars, a stormtrooper skin in Fortnite. And then how does that transfer over to Minecraft? And you just look at the two skins. I mean, like, like these are, I mean, you just, you know, even somebody who's not a game developer has to recognize these games are made on completely different engines. The graphics are wildly different. You cannot, you can't just toss an NFT from a Fortnite game into Minecraft and suddenly, oh, there's my character in Minecraft. It does not work that way. Do you know how hard cross saves are between even games in the same series, let alone completely different franchises? As a game developer myself, let me tell you, I would never take on that task. Ever. Even if I thought it was a good idea. Uh, like, I mean, cross game or, or cross franchise. I kind of like that, like, um, or not cross franchise, but within an infra franchise. I like it. Like uh, one of my favorite game series is Ark the Lad, the trilogy. Uh, I mean, all of them are great, but the original trilogy for the PlayStation phenomenal. The beautiful thing was that everything you did with your characters in Ark the Lad one, if you had it on your PlayStation memory card, you would keep those stats when you went to Ark the Lad two. 
that is hard in and of itself, even just in not not just in code, but even deve developmentally, like philosophically or uh, um, yeah, like psychologically. Yeah. Yeah. OK, let's let's say psychologically in the game, because you essentially have to make the game in such a way that when Ark appears finally in Ark the Lad 2, he may be a wildly powerful character as compared to a like half powerful character. So how do you balance the difficulty of enemies based on the possibility that somebody in the gate that, 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 you know, um, now, I mean, you could say it's easy to do in that the difficulty changes once the game, once Ark the Lad two detects from the very beginning that there is an Ark the Lad one save file, but you see how much thought goes into this and look like game developers are already wildly overworked. They're, they already don't have lives. What the fuck are you putting on these people by making them have to implement NFTs that go cross-franchise, cross-game, and all this other stuff? You're a fucking sadist! These people are nuts! And it speaks to the whole point that anybody that's supportive of NFTs, they don't live in our world, baby! They live way up high on yachts and all this other horseshit, and they don't understand the work that goes into this stuff. Now, aside from the fact, I mean, and look, I'm glad, I'm glad because it's always gamers. It's always gamers that I, I say this so much. Okay. I'm a gamer first. I'm a historian second. I'm an, I'm an, I'm a, I'm a tech journalist third. Okay. You know, I'm so proud to be a gamer because we, especially PC gamers, but gamers in general, we are the ones that are staving off so much tyranny. Don't believe me? Do you know why you even have any kind of local data or anything local to access? Do you know why you can play your games offline when you're on the bus and you have like an inexpensive or a less expensive uh, a data bill for your phone plan or something like that? Do you know why like everything hasn't just turned into like the, the, this, this communist dystopia where all shit is owned by fucking Mark Zuckerberg and whatever else? It's because of us. Because we want our goddamn games, we want them to play at, fuck, 60 FPS. We want them to play at 120 FPS. We want games that, that are the size of servers themselves, where I need, to th I need to put in a 16 terabyte hard drive just to play the latest, I don't know, take your pick. Because that's what it takes to fit that game on there. And you're not going to run that off of a server ever. We're holding all of that off because we're the people that still need offline technology. Okay. We're the people that want bang for our buck. We demand value because we understand. And it's not like we're cheap bastards. No, 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 no. We spend a premium on our chairs alone. We spend a thousand dollars on our chairs alone. We will spend all the money in the fucking world. Do you know how much a great gaming PC costs, baby? You're looking at almost five digits. You think we're cheap? Go shit yourself. We spend the money and we want our games to operate the way we want, or you are going to pay for it. Why? Because we are not going to give you our money again. And we know a scam when we see one, we've been dealing with them for a very long time from the Genesis activator to, you know, claims that some software is doubling our Ram when how could the fucking software double Ram, whatever it is, we know we've been around and we see the scam that you're selling us with NFTs. It's for you to make money, not for us to have a good time. Nintendo recently had an investor's call. In it, they said, 
yeah, we're thinking about metaverse. And like they had a nebulous phrase about NFTs, but it was mainly about metaverse. We're thinking about it, but we're not going to do it until we know how it brings joy to people. Yeah. And right now, let me assure you, there's not a whole lot of joy being brought to anybody because of these, what, what, what do they say? NFT doesn't mean non-fungible tokens. It means no fucking thanks. Now, what's the reality here? I think I've made my point with why this is all crap. Again, you know, like you want to do DLC, you want to do all this other stuff in gaming. Yeah, we're, we're used to it. Some of it's valid, some of it's not, you know. Um, NFTs, we rec- gamers recognize you're overcomplicating things. You're, you're, this is only going to screw us. It's just going to cost us more money. It's fucking IAP. It's, you know, endless runner bullshit. And we know it. And it's beautiful to see that happening, to see those conversations or really <laughs> beatdowns on the internet. Anytime some company says, ah, yeah, NFTs. <laughs> Walking away with a bloody nose. Fucking right. So what's really going on here? Why? Why? Even with all this, with, with these attacks from all sides, when, when consumers are coming out and passionate people are coming out and saying, no, don't do NFTs. Why are we still hearing about NFTs? Well, it doesn't help when Ubisoft comes out and says, yeah, see, the thing is gamers just don't understand. They just don't. So, so essentially Ubisoft thinks we're idiots because we don't like NFTs. No, no, we're the smart ones. You're the fucking idiots. Okay. And I didn't even get into the fact that, look, like any of this application for Web3, like people, I've been trying for years to get people to get NASAs. I can't even get people to do NASA. I mean, some people do, and kudos to you. But the amount of listeners I have and whatever else, like NASAs aren't necessarily going to the roof. It's a popular conversation, thankfully. But in fact, maybe there's even something conspiratorial with that around the idea of Web3. Because to do Web3, you essentially have to run your own server. Whether it's your laptop or an ass or, you know, whatever that actually looks like, that's ultimately what the claimed aims of Web3 is. And NFTs are somehow a part of that, which is nonsense. So so what's going on here? Okay, I, w- I want to get into the reality of this. The reality is, and I'll put links in the show notes. The reality is that you have, like M. Shadows is hinting at it. In fact, at the end of the, of the Devin Townsend uh, podcast, he says, like, okay, we had all these problems as artists where we like lost all of these ways to make money. This gives us the ability to get it all back. Now, does this give them the ability to get it all back? Sure. In a way, is that a pro fan slash pro consumer move? That is the bigger question. And I would argue the answer is no. So entertainers, artists, whatever they're hot on this because they feel like it reintroduces revenue streams that they lost once the digital realm called bullshit on their, their faux scarcity. So there's that. The other part, okay, and, and this, this is where things get a little more nebulous, but we know the stories are out there already in Bloomberg, you know, in every major news outlet. This isn't like zero hedge stuff. Not that I'm knocking that. I'm just saying this isn't zero hedge. We know, admittedly, that there are, I mean, even like Justin Bieber, go down the list, that there are a lot of people with a lot of money that are using NFTs to tax evade. Do I have a problem with tax evasion? None whatsoever. What I do have a problem with is that you're buying bullshit NFTs from young people 
from people who are really hard up, making them think that NFTs are a sustainable industry of some kind, okay, or a sustainable market of some kind, which again, no, it's not because they're still ultimately centralized, right? All it takes is for OpenSea to go down and, or to delist something and it's all over for that NFT. But you're giving, you're creating an illusion that there is value here by buying up for insane valuations these NFTs from people who, oh yeah, oh, I was working at McDonald's and now I've sold NFTs for $100,000. And we don't even have to get into, we'll try converting that into usable money. And, you know, the gas fees are going to take out 50% of whatever the fuck you just made, if not more. So, no. <laughs> okay. But they're doing this. They're trying to create this concept of infinitely scalable property, whether intellectual or in the case of like, say the metaverse, virtual real estate, they're trying to create this infinitely scalable at the same time, ironically, which calls bullshit. I mean, like it, it, it's not even a paradox. Like it's just contradictory. It, it's, it's just you know hypocritical. You're trying to create this infinitely scalable property and in, introduce a faux scarcity into it. Because, you know, this is an easy way for you to make money. And so right now, in the honeymoon stage of this technology, yes, you have lots of people buying a lot of these things to try and create hype around the industry. And they're spending millions of dollars, which in the net worth of these individuals is a pittance. It's a couple pennies to them. But to you, it's life-changing, right? But that's only going to be at first. Eventually, this turns into a bunch of microtransactions nobody's making hundreds of thousands of dollars off of NFTs after that. Um, unless, you know, it's a band charging $10,000 for an NFT or something, then they will. Okay. But the everyday person, just because it's an NFT, no, like that's not how any industry or market works. But not only that. So the point about tax evasion, okay. Um, you have a very NFTs while they are based on, blockchain while they are based on what could arguably could be called ultimately a cryptocurrency like ETH or even, you know, Solana, whatever. Okay. Um, they fall under a very strange category. There are not really any regulations around NFTs. So you can put your money into essentially an NFT, like the speculative NFT. And well, how does that get taxed? Well, the IRS says, we don't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, and all they can do right now, and they admit it, like the IRS is talking about this. They're looking at NFTs. All they can do right now is just kind of track it, but they don't know what to, you know, how it's going to shape up. So it's actually a great way, you know, when somebody's putting millions of dollars into this, uh, it's a great way to hold off and state, you know, and, and put a million dollars somewhere openly that does not have any like real taxable regulations around it. So that's th those two things. One is this, this attempt to hoodwink people into thinking that this is somehow valuable, that this is somehow an industry because somebody's making a million dollars off of it. And then also the tax evasion aspects of it, though that's the reality of why NFTs are appreciating their moment in the sun. As soon as, as there is, there are clear regulations around tax regulations around NFTs. I guarantee it. 
I'm confident in saying that. I guarantee it. You are not going to see these insane valuations on NFTs ever again. Like you're just not going to see it. The other part is that once it's somehow established in technologies, okay, whether it's gaming with musicians, whatever, once it's established in those, in those areas, and there could be a long game played here, but once it's established, like this idea that somehow you make an NFT and it sells for a hundred thousand dollars, like that's not happening anymore either, because at the end of the day, it, it, it's only to secure the legacy system. And if we want to call them legacy artists, okay. And legacy entertainment, it's only, it's totally about bolstering that. It is not about creating more art. It is not like it's, it's look, it's just not. So right now there's a lot of money into it because there's this excitement around web three, which web three is completely an investor, uh, um, you know, uh, venture capitalist buzzword and failed concept because it's coming from those same asshats. Okay. It's just, it's a part of that. So you're seeing a lot of money in it because they're trying to trick you into thinking that there's value here when there isn't. Okay. And believe me, they'll know when they want to pull out the rug from it or when they hit their threshold of whatever matters, because they'll just pull all the money right back out. And even at this really nascent stage, and it still is with NFTs, even though technically they've been around since 2017, even at this nascent stage, um, it is very easy to get the rug pulled out from underneath any NFT. Like as soon as it's effectively delisted on anywhere that it matters to list it, where you could make money, you're fucked. You've got a, a very, you just lost a ton of money on a, on a bit of data. So that that's what's, again, the stories are out there. I'll link to some in the show notes where, where, you know, you, you can see that yes, like even the IRS knows this is being used for tax evasion. I mean, we could get into where, and I've talked about this in the past. Now this isn't true across the board, but a lot of like art collecting and like art uh, like, like art auctions and all this other stuff. A lot of that is done for money laundering. Do I have a problem with money laundering? I'm an anarchist. You answer that question. But my point is, okay, that that's what's, that's what's happening here. Tax evasion, money laundering, a lot of these other things, even if I don't have a problem with these things, the problem is that you are tricking people into thinking this is something for them that you are tricking people into thinking this is, this is an industry that they can make money on. You are tricking people. You are hoodwinking people. Like I said, and that I have a problem with. So what do we do? Um, well, you don't buy them. You don't buy into it. Just don't. <laughs> like, and Oh, if you just really want that work of art from that guy or whatever, then send him some money, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and like, hold it for me. I'll pick it up later. I, you know what I mean? Nothing is being added here. That is somehow a unique proposition. Again, it is only it's gatekeeping. It's faux scarcity. And it, it's, it's sadly, it's setting us back so many steps because digital, uh, you know, like the, the notion of digital property, as in you have digital files that represent perhaps a work of art, music, movie, you know, whatever, a book or things like this, you know, all of that was setting every, everything free because like, well, a art is an important thing, but B like the, the arena of ideas just got blown wide open. 
And that, and when you can engage that and get into that, you know, that's what allows us to grow as quote unquote humanity. You know, and, and it was actually like, I think saving people a lot of money in that, okay, they're really into this music or they're really into this. And, you know, sure. They don't have to pay for it anymore. Granted, they didn't have to pay for it before either. They could just turn on the fucking radio. Okay. (laughs) Um, But also, you know, like people's demand for getting their content or their, their art or whatever in the way that they want it to um, that pushed the industry forward. That's how you do have things like Apple music and Spotify and so on that are far more consumer friendly, right? Like I am not arguing to go back to, to vinyl, I'm not arguing to go back to LPs. I like that I have a music collection in my pocket or whatever. I like that my podcasts can be out there. I like a lot of these things. Okay. But that was only pushed forward because, you know, the bullshit that was a lot of the, 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 uh, not just the scarcity of, of the content, but the scarcity of the distribution, like the false scarcity of the distribution of it, which again, computers just blew wide open. Um, you know, they had to figure out how to make money in doing that. Okay. Did they end up making less money? Maybe. But then what? Are you starving? <laughs> no. I don't know. What, you couldn't go to Bermuda yesterday? I Like what? You got to explain to me. I don't have a problem with people being rich. <laughs> like, like, don't confuse me on that either. Okay. I, I'm just saying that, like, what are you complaining about? I mean, it's, it's the same thing. I don't understand what the obsession is with the church of eternal growth. Like why, why do you think like, Oh, we, we just have to constantly get more users, you know? I mean, that, 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 that's another thing too. That, that, that's a whole other, Oh man, I I could get into, this goes back to look, thank your gamer. Okay. (laughs) Especially the one that doesn't play Fortnite. Like thank your gamer, your local gamer, because again, they are, they are really putting the kibosh on this horrendous cloud future. And just look at Google Stadia. Like, hardcore gamers are not getting in on Google Stadia because Stadia is not delivering what they need. And Stadia's business model has had to change dramatically over time because Google's just not getting out of it what they what they were really expecting. Again, you know, the cloud just as a concept just doesn't work, <laughs> okay? Um, I also think that's why a lot of gamers are getting into retro gaming. But I mean, I could get into a whole conversation, you know, around that because that's another issue that's happening is again, that church of eternal growth. Okay. We can't get any more, like we can't get enough gamers fast enough, right? Like we can't, we can't get more of them involved, you know? And, but the gamers, again, it's not like they're cheap. They'll put down the money to get the hardware, to play their fucking games. They will spend $60 for the latest piece of shit, you know, whatever you're putting out there uh, of the year. And, you know, they, they will do all of that, but that's not enough because for some reason they think they just have to keep growing. They have to keep doing more. I, I don't know what the mentality is around that. I do not understand what the mentality is around the church of eternal growth, that everything just has to grow. Like I love what's happening right now. Ironically, because of the chip shortage, I don't love that COVID's happening. I don't, but chip shortage, I kind of dig because what's happening is people are appreciating essentially what they have and not just people, not just consumers, but businesses like Nintendo's like, yeah, we're just midlife cycle with the switch. Things been around for <laughs> five, six years almost, you know, and usually in a, in a console generation, you get into the six year slump. And so you have to come out with a new console. Not this time because physically they can't produce another one, but also they're just like, well, we'll just keep making what we got. And what you think you're going to get shitty games. Fuck are you kidding me? You still have Metroid prime four to come out. Uh, I mean, just this month, what do you got rune factory five? I mean, like there are so many games being made. 
There's no need to come out with a new console right now. But again, I don't get it. What is this church of eternal growth that they think, yeah, we got to just keep every six years, got to keep coming out with a new console, got to keep going. Blah, 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 blah. It, it, to me, it ultimately, the only thing I can see behind the church of eternal growth, where like everything, we just have to keep getting more users, we have to keep doing this, it ultimately comes down to laziness because you don't want to have to actually innovate like something that's you into something that's something useful, which I would argue the metaverse is not. You just need to prove to advertisers, which are companies usually that are actually doing something worth fucking while that it makes sense for them to spend money on you. And that's really all you want. So <laughs> at least in the tech world. So, you know, it's, it's bullshit. It's turtles all the way down. <laughs> like, that's the only thing I can imagine is that you have to show those numbers of users and all this other shit just so that you can appease those advertisers. But you know, if we're interested like M shadows, if we want to cut out the middleman, let's cut out the middleman. Let's cut out the fucking tech giant. I mean, we know that like targeted advertising versus non-targeted advertising, there is no appreciable difference between those numbers. So let's stop that crap. And that's all that most of these tech giants exist for minus maybe Microsoft and Apple, you know, like, uh, Google, Facebook, you know, these companies ultimately rely upon advertising. End them. Get them out of here. Fine, you're done. See you later. Anyway, I didn't mean to go down that road. But it, it, it's all just symptomatic of the same problem. And again, we've got to evolve past this. And NFTs are just holding us back. Okay. And like I said, I mean, there might be a very brief time in the sun where it looks like people are making money off of it, but that is solely, that is strategy on the part of the investors who want to screw you eventually with this and make a ton of money off of not, you know, $100,000 NFT sales, but off of microtransactions, essentially. Um, you know, it's just, it's like all the little fees, right? That, that you get, that your bank cuts out on you, you know, that you lose thousands of dollars at least a year on. Right. It's, it'll become the same damn thing. And again, with NFTs, anything you feel that they're uniquely offering, they are not uniquely offering. They it probably existed before. They are just overcomplicating it and they are turning it into a way to, you know, again, it's to get more money to the artists. I'm not, I don't have a problem with artists making money. I will go to their concerts. I will go to their concerts all day long. I will buy their T-shirts. I do. I spend all the money there. OK, so you had to be, you know, but but that's it. Like, sorry, this is, this just weeds out. Okay. The problem is, is NFTs are trying to keep the process of evolution from happening because what was happening, thanks to the digital realm, to the digital economy, the digital ecosystem is it was weeding out the people who had actual talent, who were actually worth your time and money and those who were not. And that's what scares the fuck out of, out of the legacy system in general, be it from record companies to pick your entertainment industry to your fashion company to whatever. It's just, we, it, that, that's what scared the death or scared them to death was that, you know, they couldn't like, <laughs> it's, it's like Vince McMahon. He tried so hard to make John Cena like a big deal or, or Roman Reigns or whatever. But look like you can't, you, you just can't create the star like that. You either be Hulk Hogan, you either be the badass and the brilliance that is Hulk Hogan or you're not and you're not. So, you know, you can't force this stuff on people and, and it, NFTs are all part of that. All right. I'm going to stop because I'm just like, now I'm getting into rambling, but I hope you get my point. And I think it does. Laziness has got to be what this is ultimately all about. 
It's just people, you know, wanting to be lazy because they don't really love what they're doing because what they're doing is actually just, just scamming and, sh and shamming. So the answer, don't buy NFTs. Um, honestly, if Nintendo does engage, it does implement NFTs in their products proper. And I don't mean if like some third party somehow bring like a, like Capcom or something brings in NFTs. Um, but I will not buy your games. I will not buy your next console. I'll be done. And I have thousands of games to play anyway that have nothing to do with NFTs that I could play for the next 10 lifetimes. I don't need you. All right. So, you know, <laughs> like, you know, or I, I was mentioning earlier the long game. I'll just I'll end with this. The, the concern I have is the long game that, you know, Andreessen Horowitz and 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 whatever these other fuck nuts out there that are, you know, like banking on Web3 and NFTs and banking as in they're putting their money into it. All of those people. Okay. I'm worried that they'll they'll just keep funneling money into it until the next generation grows up with NFTs as a standard. And then, you know, like then they can make their money off of those people off of the next generation. So I am concerned about the long game here. So it's important to not only take part in NFTs, but to also be, in my opinion, absolutely verbal, absolutely active against NFTs whenever they come up, just, just attack them right away. You want to be nice about it, give me nice about it, but just attack them instantly. And so that way, the next generation who will look up to you when the next generation looks up to you that you, you know, they will see you saying fuck NFTs. No fucking thanks. Now, I know I said I was going to wrap up before I do. Speaking of that next generation, um, I do want to get this in because I think a lot of people listen to this and they'll ask me, okay, so NFTs bad. What's this future that you think that they are, you know, keeping us from getting to? And I will tell you what that is. Um, and I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't bring it up. Um, you know, in this episode and that future is this, it's a future without IP. It's a future without intellectual property that computers in general, not just the digital realm, but I mean, computers are, you know, what brings that to, to four, but, um, you know, computers allow for, like we were talking about earlier, the democratization of the creation of entertainment specifically. Okay. Um, again, we'd have to get into a huge conversation around the importance of art to, you know, to the human condition, that's not what we're doing here, but I imagine a future where anybody could, for example, you know, once you get intellectual property out of the way where anybody could make a new story about Captain Kirk and the crew of the enterprise, it could even be, you know, like a movie like Star Trek continues or, you know, a TV series, mini web series, like, like Star Trek continues, or it could be. Um, you know, whatever it ends up being, and you could make money off of it because you did great work in comparison, say <laughs> to the not great work that CBS has done with Star Trek lately. And no, that's not subjective opinion on art. That's fucking objective. Okay. <laughs> and, and well, anyway, there's numbers that you can look at that. I think that can prove that point as far as streaming goes, or if, if you can get that insider info, but regardless my point stands. Once you get intellectual property out of the way, then the people who, what we were talking about this whole episode, the people that actually have the talent can use that talent and create some of the greatest works that humanity is yet to see. That's the future that I want. 
that's the future that I, that as long as we don't go down this, you know, go down this road that NFTs are leading us on, which is reintroducing the power of intellectual property. And I don't mean that that's a good power, the power of intellectual property into the digital realm. If we go down that, we're not going to see that day. And we're going to have to consistently deal with piss poor movies, shitty albums, terrible TV shows, and books that appeal to the lowest common denominator. That's what we're going to have to deal with. You know, it's, it's so funny when, when, when you hear people like, like with Star Trek, when you complain about Star Trek to people and you say, well, you know, okay, so, well, Star Trek Discovery might not be your Star Trek or Star Trek Picard might not be the Star Trek that you like, but it's still Star Trek. According to who? What? Because CBS like holds a piece of paper that says it belongs to them. That's why it's Star Trek. No, fuck no. Star Trek, especially, you know, I mean, I, I know I said at the top of this episode that like, I'm just completely disillusioned with the entertainment industry. And I think that they're all idiots. Well, I'll tell you one who wasn't. And that was Gene Roddenberry. And to prove my point, when you read about like the, you know, the quote unquote, the real history of Star Trek, you find out how often Paramount was pushing Gene Roddenberry out of the way. Or even during the development of, ironically, The Next Generation, uh, even during the development of that, like so many of the writers couldn't wait until he was out of the way. Why? Because Gene Ronberry had high expectations of what his baby, you know, was going to say, produce and present to the world. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think that Gene Ronberry was presenting things far ahead of where the rest of society was at and I think that's why it's attractive or it had been attractive previously to so many people. It wasn't a franchise. It was a fucking movement. And I think there's a lot of fans, like I mentioned, Star Trek continues. There are a lot of people who get Gene Roddenberry's vision. Clearly it's not CBS anymore, but because of IP, we don't get to carry on, you know, or at least we don't get to, uh, um, I mean, sure you could write fan fiction and, you know, maybe you, if you're kept at low key enough, you could do a little Patreon around it and make some money off of that. Um, but you're never going to be able to sell an NFT on that. Like I, I, or if you can now, that's not going to last long sooner or later, like CBS is going to be able to DMCA your NFT off of, you know, uh, ocean, uh, ocean sea or whatever, open sea. Um, you know, like, like that's just, that's not going to continue. But at the same time, so what I'm getting at here is that NFTs are holding up intellectual property and intellectual property is holding up the greatest work that, that I think humanity's ever done. You know, we'll find out what it is. And before you say, well, yeah, but you know, Brian, you're a real canon junkie. You're into things, you know, what's canon, what's not. And, you know, aren't you concerned that when anybody can write a story about Cabinet Picard that, uh, you know, we won't know what's canon anymore. Are you fucking kidding me? CBS, Disney, all of them, they're all in on this multiverse concept where like they don't believe in anything being canon anymore either. Yeah, this is canon. Oh, that's canon too. Oh, we'll just rewrite time in the next movie and blah, blah, blah. They don't give a shit. So why not open it up to everybody? And let's let the actual, the best work, the passionate work stand. Well, intellectual property keeps the passionate work from standing. And in my future, the future I want passion wins the day.
that's that's why you need to say no to nfts across the board because it's bolstering a system that just gets in the way of human flourishing so i will wrap this episode of sovereign tech up with that and i will see all of you woo, on the other side